I'm just going to make an announcement now for the video and for the podcast. Um, we, uh, it may be for you as well, we are a local church that believes in the Great Commission. The Great Commission, Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. How are we going to do that? Are we going to pay somebody to go? Are we going to just hope that somebody goes? No. We're going to record our sermons on Sundays. We're going to build a website. We're going to help people start little groups, either in their homes or in bigger meeting places. Wherever on the planet they are, we're going to help people grow little churches around the world. Not so that we can have a denomination or a big name. We're going to let those churches grow and become their own thing, but we just want to spread God's love to the ends of the earth. So if you are listening to this podcast and you're somewhere in the world, let us know. www.leadinglightsnetwork.com That's leadinglightsnetwork.com is the website. And we're going to have a conference on the 13th of June here in Jersey, if anyone wants to come. And we're going to talk about how we're going to help people plant churches around the world. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So Lord, we just pray right now for those people. Lord, those mums and dads, those husbands and wives, those single men and women, old or young, wherever they are on this planet, who you want to put into little bodies, little churches, and, and grow and, and start light to shine in those communities, Lord, we pray that you would grow them and bless them and encourage them and strengthen them in their hearts and give them the courage to step out on the water and do something great, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. God is so good. I just want to say thank you to this lovely church. You guys are awesome. The work and the involvement and the volunteerism and the just willingness is fantastic. So thank you, everybody, for all that you do, all the different things that other people don't know about. I really appreciate everything. So well done. We are talking about the life of Jesus Christ, which seems like a good topic for a Christian church to talk about. Let's talk about Jesus for maybe a change. Jesus, Jesus, this man who we follow, who was God and was a man. And we're looking at his life. Uh, we're about a year or so into his ministry. You know, he ministered for three, three and a half years. We're about a year or a year and a half into it. And he's on a mountain. He's gone up all night to pray. It's Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7. Gone up to pray, came down, and there's multitudes there, and he heals them all. He starts teaching them the Sermon on the Mount, one of the most famous sermons ever preached. And it's so difficult. I want to talk today about Matthew chapter 6, the whole chapter of Matthew, Matthew 6. And it's difficult to take a whole chapter and fit it into one sermon, but I feel that the, the theme of this series of talks is to get the big picture of Jesus' life. And so rather than focus on one or two words. Every word of Jesus is so powerful and wonderful. We could do a whole sermon on each little phrase, but I want to look at the big picture so that we get an idea of Jesus and we see him, not see me or anyone else, but see Jesus today. I hope and pray you see Jesus. And the theme of this talk um, that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 6, I, I've, I've entitled it, where are you looking? Or to put it another way, where are you focusing? To put it another way, in the words of Jesus, where is your heart? 
Jesus made a comment in the middle of Matthew chapter 6. He said this, and it's quite an unusual comment, but I'm going to try and explain it. He said, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What was he saying there? Was he talking about eyesight? Was he talking about, are you short or long-sighted? No. He was saying, where your whole life and your focus of your attention and your heart is looking, where you are focused on, changes your whole life. If you are focused on something that is good, your whole life is full of light. If you're focused on something that is bad, your whole life is full of darkness. Your whole body is full of darkness, which seems to indicate health issues and and emotional issues, everything in our lives. And I wonder if it could be that Christians today are struggling with issues in their lives. They say, I feel like there's maybe a sense of darkness in my life, depression, maybe ill health, maybe lack of hope or loss of direction or whatever it is, and Jesus said, often it's because where we're focused on is wrong. We're focusing our attention, our affection, our hope on something that is not what he wants. Could be true. Could be true. We were driving, actually this could be in any city. I've, I've driven in several big cities in the world, and I'm sure many of you have. And you know what it's like? You're on one of those big highways. There's like about seven or eight lanes of traffic, and the cars are just whizzing by. And you, you're not very familiar with the city, so you're watching all the signs above the, the highway that tell you take this off ramp, take that off ramp. Sometimes it's just letters A391 or sometimes it's words and you don't recognize the name of the words and Pompano Beach, Florida or whatever it is. And you know, oh, which off ramp? And it's almost like this verse that Jesus was speaking about. He was saying, we're rushing along in life and where we look at depends which lane we get into, which depends which off-ramp we take, which, de- which determines where our destination is. And I think many of us in life are rushing along and we're not even sure where we're looking. And there's all these cars whizzing around us and people, and we just get pushed along with the flow of life of the world around us. And Jesus said, think about where are you focusing and where are you going? What, what are your eyes on? What is your affection on? Where is your heart? What are you looking to as your source and your destination? Because that will determine where you end up. We were driving in Johannesburg once, and we were looking for a particular off-ramp. We were going to stay with some friends who lived by the Wanderers Cricket Club, and we thought we were on the right road. People who know Johannesburg well will know that actually it's quite easy to make this mistake. We thought we were on the right highway, and we took all the off-ramps, and it was a bit of panic and a little bit of arguing between husband and wife. No, it's that off-ramp. Oh, 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 I think we're on the right off-ramp. And we just kept driving and driving for about 45 minutes, and we ended up in Soweta, which is southwest township. It's, it's, it's not where we want it to be. And we thought, uh-oh, what's happened? We got to the wrong destination because we took a wrong off-ramp. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not do all these things in your name? And he will say, 
I never knew you. The reality is that it's possible to think I'm on a path going where God wants me to go. And think that I've been looking at all the right signs and taking all the right ramps and doing all the right things. And I only discover at the very end where I say, Lord, Lord, I thought he was my Lord. And he says, I never even knew you. Now, that's a hard thing to say. That's a difficult word to hear. It's, it's one of the hard words that come out of the Bible. But friends, it's said in love. It's not said to bash us over the head and say, oh, you're bad, you need to be good. He's saying, I'm giving you a chance now to get on the right ramp and get in the right lane and get your life right so that you will get to the right place. Is that okay? Brothers and sisters, I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm just saying the words of Jesus. And in Matthew 6, what he does is he gives us little indicators, road signs that we can check to say, am I on the right road? Am I on the lane that leads to heaven or am I not? And he gives us little ways of getting onto the right lane and getting onto the right road. So that's what today's sermon is all about. It's about are you focusing your eyes on the right things on heaven or on earth, and if you're not, these are the road signs that you can use to check. Okay, so the first thing he does is he talks about religious acts. He talks about doing charitable deeds, uh, praying, and fasting. And he says when you do your charitable deeds, when you pray, when you fast, he doesn't say if, or you must, or this is what you should do. He he says, when you do these things, check your heart and then you'll know whether you're focusing on the right thing. Let me read to you what he says. Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men. In other words, he assumes you're doing good deeds. You see, many of us think if I see a person doing good deeds and praying and fasting, oh, they must be on the right path. He says, no, no, it's about where your heart is when you do these things. He's assuming we're doing them. But he says, that's not enough to know if you're on the right track. He says, take heed, you don't do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So if, when I'm doing good deeds, my eyes are on other people instead of on God, that's a road sign that I can say, oh, I might be on the wrong track. It's not that I'm doing the outward action of helping the poor or loving people or visiting the sick. No, no, it's am I doing this for God or so that other people will say, wow, he's great. Interesting. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to stand, pray standing in the synagogues that they may be seen by men. I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Do you see that? Where am I looking? It's not the fact that I'm praying. It's am I praying to impress people or for God? Interesting. Challenging. I find this deeply challenging. Today is a challenging talk, by the way. Be ready to have your, have your motives really challenged today by Jesus, not by me. It's Him. So I don't know if you've ever been in a prayer meeting where the person starts off, Oh, Lord, thank you. Please, would you help Brother Bill realize? <laughs> Have you been in those kind of prayer meetings? Oh, Lord, thank you that we really need to do more X, Y, and Z in this church. 
They've been in those prayer meetings. It's so obvious the person is not praying to God. They're praying using God as a way to talk to somebody else. He's saying, where's your heart? Where are you focused on? Where are you looking? Is it at this physical world? Or are you looking at heaven? Let me just say before I go on that we can, it doesn't mean we don't look at this physical world. It means we look beyond the physical world. I, I've got a, in my house, there's some big glass doors, lovely glass doors that have a wonderful view out to the sea and the bay of St. Brelard's and the beautiful hills and a garden. I've got such a wonderful view from my lounge. And when I sit in my lounge, sometimes I can see a reflection off the window of the room that I'm in. So I look at the window and I can see me. Or I can look through the reflection and see the beautiful view. I'm sure you've been there. I'm sure you've seen that kind of a thing. This is what he's saying. You're sitting in this world. It doesn't mean you don't look at this world. You don't acknowledge this world. Yes, we're in this world. But look through. Look beyond to the more. Look at heaven. Look at God. It doesn't mean we just forget this planet and other people and ourselves. No, no. We keep heaven as the main focus while we're in this world. We look through the reflection of me and my needs and people around me and I look to what's beyond and I focus on that. So, he says, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. I find this so fascinating. You know, many of us would say, who's the guy on the right track? It's the guy who prays, does good deeds and fasts. He says, no, you don't look at the outward acts. It's about why they're doing it. Jesus is so challenging in this. Where am I looking when I'm doing these things? Is that okay? So far. So it's a road sign. It says to me, I thought I was on the right track because, gee, I'm doing all these good things. Mm, but why? Why am I doing them? Am I trying to impress people? Am I doing it for my own ego? Or is it for God? When he's talking about prayer, he then goes into a little parenthesis where he says, this then is how you should pray. And he gives the Lord's Prayer. And it's a wonderful little talk in itself. And I would love to preach on it today. But I don't have time. I just I will try and get to it another time. But it is the most. Be- let me just let me just give you a little snippet here. He says, "When you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him." The essence of the Lord's prayer. And this may be different to what you've heard before. The essence of the Lord's Prayer is your Father already knows what you need. He doesn't need to be told that you need bread. He doesn't need to be told that you need forgiveness, that you need to be delivered from temptation and the evil one. He doesn't need, he's not unaware. He knows what he's looking for is someone who will come in partnership with him and say, God, I know you want to give me bread. I know you want to deliver me. I know you want to forgive me. In fact, you've already made provision for all this. But I'm just coming to say, please and thank you. That's the essence of the Lord's Prayer. You know, I I sometimes take my son to KFC for lunch. 
And I could go in there with my little debit card and buy his lunch for him. But sometimes I give him my debit card and I give him my PIN number and I say, you do it. Why? Because I, I'm trying to build a relationship and I'm trying to train him and I, I want him... It's a bit of a partnership thing. I don't want him to just sit there and just get. I want him to learn and do it with me and appreciate what I'm giving him and develop and grow it into a man and all these different things. It's the same with prayer. God could just give us, and in fact, he has given us all the things listed in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Philippians 4.19 says he's already given it to us. Forgive us our debts. Ephesians 1 verse 7 says he's already done it. Do not lead us into temptation. James 1.13 says he will never lead you into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. Ephesians 2 verse 6 says he's already delivered you from the evil one. He's done it. But he wants to give you his debit card. And he wants you to press in the pin, which is prayer, because he wants to do it together. Not because he wants you to twist his arm or convince him. He's already given it to you. He just loves hearing his children talk to him. Is that okay? Right, sorry. That's a great sermon in itself, but I haven't got time to go into it. Right, then Jesus gets very personal. Purse and all. He talks about money. And Jesus talked about money a lot. More than any... You know, Jesus talked about money and finances. I forget the, thing, the statistic. I think it's something like 10 times more than he talked about salvation. Why? Because our money is very, very close to our hearts. We spend so many hours of our lives working for money that it's a big part of our lives. And what he's saying is, if your money isn't with God and for God, then you are not. And so I'm going to say some things today, not because Greg thinks them, but because, well, I do think them, but Jesus said them, not me. He says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break it and steal. So going back to our idea of the riding along a highway and getting the signposts, he's saying these are ways that you can see whether you are really heading for heaven or focusing on heaven or whether you're focusing on earth. And these are ways for you to change lane if you need to. So the first thing he says is don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth Rather lay up treasures in heaven. In other words, where are you focusing on? Is it earth or heaven? He goes on to say, where your treasure is, your heart is. What's he talking about there? <clears throat> is he saying, I don't want you to have money? No. He's not saying that. He's saying, I don't want money to have you. Do you remember when the Israelites left Egypt... God caused the Egyptians to give them their gold. I don't know if you knew this. But when the Israelites left Egypt, God caused all the Egyptians to give their ex-slaves their gold. They had so much wealth when they left Egypt. They had been slaves. They left with gold. God is not against us having gold. But when they got to Mount Sinai, they melted that gold and they made a golden calf and they worshipped it. God is against your gold becoming an idol. He's not against you having it. He's against it having you. It's where your heart is. Where am I looking? <laughs> is that okay? Listen to this next verse. Sorry, then he says, the lamp of the body is the eye. And then he says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. 
No one. No one. Let me just emphasize that. No one. <laughs> Not you. You think, oh, other... No, no, no. No one can serve two masters. This is the only place in the Bible where Jesus says you can't serve God and this thing. He never said it about anything else. But he said no one can serve God and mammon. Not money, mammon. Some versions, some translations of the Bible say no one can serve God and money. That's an incorrect translation. The word is mammon. It's a name of a evil idol spirit. It's a demonic spirit called mammon that tries to control people through greed and fear. And God says, Jesus says, you can't serve him and this evil spirit personality that uses money to control you. You can't serve the two. It's one or the other. Wow, how challenging is this? It's like a fork in the highway. It says you go down this lane or this lane. You can't go down the median in the middle. You will crash. Pick. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Which one are you going to serve? God or mammon? As I say, it's not God or money. It's not saying, do I choose to be a Christian or rich? No. He's saying, do I serve God or this evil spirit that uses money? You say to me, what's this evil spirit like? Well, he goes on to explain. It's all about worry and fear. Oh, am I going to have enough? I need a bit more. But you've got so much more than this person. Yes, but I still need just a bit more. And is that enough when you've got that bit more? No, no, I need a bit more than that. Just a bit more. Why do you need more? Well, what if? What happens if this happens? What if? What if I, I have a crash and I fall down and I break my femur and then my patella breaks and then I hurt my neck and the nurse can't fix me? And all these thoughts going through our heads and we think, this isn't, why am I thinking these thoughts? I'll tell you why. There's an evil spirit called Mammon who's talking to you. <laughs> He's talking to you with fear, worry and greed. You say to me, oh no, Greg, does that mean I'm demon possessed? No. The Bible says that the evil presence, the, the devil and his demons, attack and talk to everybody, especially Christians. It doesn't mean you're demonized because the devil is telling you to be worried and greedy. You're just a Christian like everybody else. The devil loves to attack us. But there's ways of dealing with that. But Jesus says you cannot serve both God and mammon. I'm going to read the rest of this passage and then I'm just going to come back to it in a sec. He says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life. Do not worry. Worry and fear. That's the way this spirit works. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He's saying... If you put all the value of all the clothing and all the food and all the goods and the wonderful things that you can have together, your life and your body is worth more than that in God's sight. No matter how valuable all the things you could put together in a pile are, your body and your life in God's eyes are so precious that they're much more valuable than that. Does that encourage you? It gets better. Look at the birds of the air. In this whole passage, Jesus uses a way of arguing where he says, if this little thing is important, how much more important is this big thing? All the way through, birds, you, lilies of the field, you, 
material goods, your life. He's, he's using lesser to the greater. And it's a logical argument that is just so powerful. Listen, look at the birds of the air. These tiny little meaningless birds who just die easily. He says, they neither sow nor reap nor gather, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Let that sink in. You are of more value than a bird, and God feeds birds. He will feed you. Don't let mammon lie to you and tell you he won't. Which of you, by worrying, can add a single cubit to his stature? That's if you're short and you're worried about that, but if you're not, don't worry. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? How much more important are you than a piece of grass? <laughs> how much more precious? How much more important, valuable? You're in the image of God. He considers you so important, much more important than grass. And yet look at how beautiful he makes the grass and the flowers. He will look after you. You don't need to worry. Oh, am I pretty enough? Oh, am I good looking enough? You're fantastic. God will look after you. Because you're worth it. <laughs> Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. The Gentiles run after them. They spend all their energy and worry, he says, chasing these things. You don't need to chase them. They will chase you if you will just seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. All these things will be added to you. Added to you. They just come. They just get added. Because I'm looking. My focus is right. Instead of looking at the world and my physical things around me and my heart and my, my worry is all about my treasure, He says, no, no, no. Get your focus right. And all these other things will be added. Isn't that wonderful? Where your, where your heart is, your treasure will be. Listen to this. Sorry, verse 21. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. For me, that's a, a double-edged verse. Because it's a way of checking where my heart is. That's number one. It's a way of checking where my heart is. Where my treasure is, my heart will be. In other words, I can say, where is my heart? Oh, well, where's my treasure? Is it here on earth? Is the, the most valuable thing to me here on earth? Or is it in heaven? That's how I know where my heart is. That's the first part of that verse. The second thing is I can change where my heart is by moving my treasure. You say, Greg, what are you talking about? He, again and again in the Bible it says you can lay up for yourself treasure in heaven by being generous. Every time you give... The Bible says in several places, I can give you the references afterwards, that every time you give, you're putting money in a bank in heaven. I can tell you that the more you give, the more your heart moves towards God. It's a bit like this evil idol of mammon. I can break it by doing something. I can say, I'm going to choose to give, and the idol breaks. You know, in the Old Testament, Dagon was one of the idols. 
And the Philistines captured the Ark of God's Covenant, the presence of God, and they put it in the temple of Dagon, their, their idol. And they came the next morning and opened the door, and Dagon was fallen flat on his face. And they thought, oh, it must have been a mistake, maybe a bit of wind, a bit of earthquake, something. So let's put him up again. The next morning they go in, and Dagon's flat on his face, and his head is broken off, and his two hands are broken off at the wrist. You put God first in your life. You say, I'm making a decision to put God first with my money, and this idol gets broken, it gets crushed. Your heart moves because you've moved your treasure. Isn't that fascinating? I wish I had time to talk about tithing today because I got a good talk on tithing. But I don't have time. Let me just, let me just give you a couple of, of brief things about tithing. In the Old Testament, tithing or giving a tenth of your income was a practice that was practiced right from the beginning of the Old Testament all the way through. Before the law of Moses was instituted, tithing was being practiced. Abraham, 400 years before the law, Abraham gave a tenth of everything that he won to a priest called Melchizedek because he felt gratitude to God. Not because he had to, not because there was a law that said you must, he just felt he wanted to. All the way through the Old Testament, God says it. And then in the New Testament... We know, remember from a couple of weeks ago, we don't follow the rules of the Old Testament. It comes out of our hearts now, but it'll be more than the Old Testament law. So it's a guideline. And basically the, the rule of tithing was, God said, uh, Proverbs 3 verse 9, Honor the Lord with your possessions, with the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be full with plenty and your vats will overflow with wine. And so the rule in the Old Testament was whenever you got a crop was harvested or whenever you, you got some income, you took the first, the best, the first 10%. If you, if you got some sheep and, and it was time for them to be sheared or um, slaughtered or whatever it was, the best, the first 10% went to the Lord. And that was a way of saying my heart belongs to God. Now, it was a, a rule, an Old Testament law, which meant that some people did it out of obligation, but their heart was not right with God. But in the New Testament, we do it out of love and grace, not because we have to, but it's a way of taking my heart and my treasure and moving lane and putting it in God's lane and saying, I'm not looking at this world, I'm looking at that world. It's a wonderful, it's a way we can change lane. I'm just going to ask you a very difficult question. If God really has your heart and he's really Lord of your life, but he doesn't have your money, do you think you might be in the wrong lane today? It's a difficult question. But I don't want you or me to get to the end and say, Lord, Lord, <laughs> I attended Lighthouse every Sunday. And he says, depart from, I never knew you. He said, but Lord, why? He says, your heart. Where was your heart? Was it here in this physical world? Was it about you and this world? Or was it about heaven? There's a verse in Malachi where it says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And the New Testament application of that is when we bring our hearts 
which are demonstrated by money and other things, but when our hearts are fully devoted to God in church, listen to this. Let me just explain that. If I'm tithing properly because I love God and my heart is in the right place, there will be food in His house. There will be teaching from the Bible in His church that feeds His people. You say, gee, Greg, that's a bit of a leap, isn't it? I know, because I've been preaching for 25 years, that I can do all the right things in preparing a sermon. And I can be prayed up, and I can have done everything in my power, and believe I've got a message from the Lord, and one time I'll preach it to a group of people, and it'll fall dead flat like a stone, and other times it'll just have the power of God on it. And I didn't know why. I realized number one is when people are praying for me, but number two is if people's hearts are really focused on wanting God, the sermon takes off. <laughs> when they're not hungry, the sermon falls flat as a pancake. And the way, one of the ways is when I bring the tithe, when my heart is really for God, which includes my money, boy, you'll hear the best sermons you've ever heard, even if the preacher's a donkey like me. <laughs> it's the truth. I'm telling you the truth. When your heart is set on God and you want Him, the words of God will come to you. There'll be food in His house. There's many things we could say about tithing. But I just want to say, use this as a signpost. Say, am I on the right track? I think I'm going to heaven. But Jesus was very strong. When you pray, when you do charitable deeds, when you fast, why are you doing them? And where is your finances? Where's your heart, your treasure? Is it with Him or not? Let's pray together.